Yeah, morning. Okay. You know, sometimes when you when you get up the front or you, you know you're giving a, a speech or something like that, uh, you know you, you like to give a personal cheerio. Well, I promised somebody I would do that this morning. So, Peter, this is your cheerio. Hope those ribs are getting better. Sorry about that. All right, First Thessalonians. Now, it's really interesting uh, how we just take things for granted and we just assume that we know everything or we know that we're very familiar with things. So this morning we're going to look at the, the book of First Thessalonians, right? Wrong. It's not a book, is it? It's not a book. It's a letter. Now, in the old King James, you know, the good old King James, if you have a look at the title, it's just what it says, the letter... To the, to the Thessalonians. And because it's a letter, how many people have written a letter recently? Not many. It's usually emails. But when you write a letter, you don't start off by putting in chapter one. It's usually D- Dear Lorraine, isn't it? Something like that. Eh? You don't write. You certainly don't have chapter two. And then you don't put down one, two, three along the margin and start writing. Now, all those things are very helpful to us. Great for studying God's word. They were put in later. Huh? Why am I telling you this? What's that got to do with First Thessalonians? Well, because, you know, this is a letter and I'm actually, I'm actually taking up uh, a thought that, that uh, Paul has been talking about in chapter 1, which Josh did a fantastic job last week in teaching us about what Paul had written in chapter 1. If you haven't heard that message, please. Download, it's downloaded. You can, you can uh, listen to it now. You can't watch it now. You can watch it for a week. Did you know that you can watch the sermon for a whole... It's on uh, for a whole week on our, on our web page. If you've missed it or if you want to hear it again, if it's really that good, probably won't be listening to this one again this week, but at other times... But we also have the audio. Every week we have the audio and it goes for ages. I mean, it's on for, it's on the, it doesn't go for ages unless it's someone speaking. <laughs> I mentioned any names, you No. Um, but the audio is there and it's there for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. I hope you know that. So you can, you can, you can uh, catch up. But, the artificial breaks that we find in, in the scriptures are just that. They're just helps for studying and to for help us to find things. And I can say to you, let's have a look at verse 5 and you know what we're actually looking at. You know? So that's very important. And so in chapter 1, just very, very briefly, in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul begins a defense, a defense of his ministry and uh, himself and the people that are helping him. And Josh, like I said, explained all that. And that's where it starts. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says there, for you know, depending on which version that you're, that you're looking at. And it's referring to, to the things that had gone previously, that he's spoken about previously. And he also says it in verse 3. He's referring to the things he's already mentioned. And we heard last week that there were opponents challenging not just the ministry of Paul, but his actual character. And not just Paul, but his helpers, Timothy and, and, and the like that were mentioned in the, and Silas 
mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 1. But there, and there were four main accusations against Paul and his workers and the message. Right? Four main accusations. The first one was that his urgings or his advice or his teaching was in error. Now, who was it that was, that was dogging him or as he was on his missionary journey? It was the Judaizers, the Jewish um, people that, that said that what Paul was teaching was wrong. It was in error, contrary to the, to the Old Testament teachings, the teachings that they had. That wasn't called the Old Testament for them. But they said it's wrong. It was unclean. And they said it was deceptive. Paul was, was deceiving the hearers. And he refutes that in chapter 2, verse 3. The second one was that he was tailoring his preaching. Now, I hope these things are interesting to you because this stuff's happening today too. That he was tailoring his preaching to please the listeners. Right? That still happens today. And he refutes that in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. The third motive behind his preaching was greed, money, you know, financial stuff. And refutes that in chapter uh, 2, verse uh, second half of verse 5. And then the last one was that he was seeking personal glory. It's all about, all about Paul, you know, getting, getting, getting a, a popular following, all about, you know, if they had, if they had Facebook back then, all, all about getting lots of likes and friends. So they're the four accusations against Paul. And, he, and, this, and in these next seven verses, he, he, he addresses that, he refutes them. And so Paul defends his ministry and himself. His ministry. What was his ministry? His ministry was the good news to be shared, to be declared. That's the ministry. And himself, who was he? He was a servant of God. A servant of God. And he was, he was more than that. He was a, a steward. He was a faithful steward. Of God. Now what's a steward? Do you know what a steward is? It's like a manager. Someone who's charged with the responsibility of getting something done in accordance to the, the charter, the, the request of the owner, whatever it might be. And so you and I know that Paul was given that charge, that, that message, and it's uh, uh, from God, and it started from the Lord's rather, and it started from the, 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 his experience from the Damascus Road. It's a great story. I love telling that story to the kids. But you know, you know, you know what I love about that story? Not, not, not the blinding lightning and all the rest of it. At the very end where Paul says, what would you have me to do, Lord? And he gets the message really clear. Go to the Gentiles and tell them the good news. That's his ministry. That's what he's been charged to do by God. And he's a faithful servant and he's done it. He's doing it here and he's done it because we can look back at his, at his life's journey. That's what he did. Now, brothers and sisters, that describes not just Paul, Silas and Timothy, in First Thessalonians, it describes you and me here in Montmorency this morning. We have the same ministry. We have been charged by the Lord 
to spread the good news. Yes? Yes. Same ministry. It's not a different message. It's not a different method. It's exactly the same message given to us by the same Lord. And so our position is the same as that of Paul. Are we apostles? No, we're not really A, capital A apostles. We're little A apostles, aren't we, Graham? Little A apostles. Messengers. Messengers and servants and stewards and workers for the Lord. That's our position. Now, I remember sitting and, and reading lots of times, sitting here one time, talk, uh, getting um, uh, instruction on how you should preach a sermon. And it's always good, this person said, to have the application at the end. It's, it is good. It is good. I've got, I've got some great uh, commentaries at home where they talk about everything and they explain, and then they give you the application at the end. But it's not, it's not a hard and fast rule, brothers and sisters. This morning, don't look for the application at the end because it's not coming there. It's all through this sermon this morning. The application. It's weed through this, this passage because the courage of the gospel is the title and the way that Paul preached it and served faithfully the Lord Jesus was with courage. But there was a great reason why he was courageous about it. Nothing spectacular about Paul. He wasn't a huge man. He wasn't even a great speaker, if you, if you look at the, uh, the, the, the um, accounts of, of his ministry uh, in the scriptures. Yet he had courage. And we're going to look at that this morning. If you have a look, if you've got your Bible open or your app open, Verse two, it's verse, uh, verse, chapter two, verse one, it starts off with, you know, you know. And this is one of the key things about being a faithful servant. It comes, that little phrase is, is mentioned in this, in these seven verses three times. And, and, and what Paul is saying is what I'm telling you, it's verifiable, right? You can test it. You can research it. You can you can look it up, and so these 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 people knew the facts were true. And he says in verse one. Now, now I've got a slightly older version of the, of the NIV. Mine says um, uh, our visit was not a failure, or there it says um, say something. Our visit not without results. Same thing. In the King James it says not in vain. Same idea, right? Not a failure. And so they can, they, they can, they can attest to that because they know it wasn't a failure. Just like you and me, we know the gospel is not a failure. It worked! Didn't it? Forgave my sin. Brought peace within between me and God. Now, you don't know me very well, most of you, but it changed me. If you don't think I'm a really good person, now you should have seen me before. I was worse. Then I'm still being changed. And so they had the same evidence 
in their own lives, the Thessalonians. You see, how, how do they know that? They had evidence that a church was established amongst all that opposition we heard about last week. A church was established. We're not talking about just being laughed at, uh, Josh, right? The opposition was, was fierce, life-threatening, physically, physically painful, being ostracised. wasn't just started it grew god blessed the work god blessed that little planting of that church and it grew but more than that it was a model church oh wouldn't it be good to be known as a model church that's what they well, that's what we looked at last week that was their experience folks they knew that what Paul was saying was true because of their own experience. You and I know the gospel is true because of our own individual stories, our own experience. They're all different, but very similar. Same Lord. We might have met him in different places. Same message. We may have heard it differently. Same salvation. We've all experienced exactly the same thing. Why wasn't it a failure? Why was the the visit not a failure? That's in uh, verse 2 as well. He says there, because God helped them. God's not into the failure business. We heard about the earthquake and the jailer and then being released by the authorities. How, how, how God intended this message to be spread and God had an active hand in getting that message across. In partnership with the Apostle Paul, Silas and Timothy, God is still in the business of getting this message to the world in partnership with the Montmorency Community Church and you and me. We may not necessarily be great partners, but that's the way God would like to work. That's how he's ordained it. And his message is powerful. It was powerful then. It's powerful now. It's ordained now, that means that God, this is the message God says needs to be told for the reason of reconciliation with him, for the forgiveness of sins. There is no other message, just this one, and it has eternal consequences, brothers and sisters. Whether you accept it, reject it, or neglect it, the consequences for you are eternal. That was the message then. That's the message today. Nothing has changed. That's why it wasn't a failure. It was, it's a work of God. He does not fail. Verse three. He says there in verse three that, um, that their appeal does not spring from error. So there was no, nothing in, in, um, in that, uh, 
message that they had, this message of good news, this message of the gospel, that was that was wrong, that was as was a lie. You see, you see, God is a God of truth. He's a God of truth. And you can see that right through the scriptures, but there's a particular passage, brothers and sisters, that I just love with regard to the fact that God is always truthful. Can you turn with with me in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 8? I'm going to read it to you. If you haven't got this underlined or circled, you need to do that. Okay, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. Because, verse 17, just for context, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So God made a promise and he confirmed it with... God was feared income about this promise to Abraham. And this is talking about God's character. Verse 18, God did this, did so that by two unchangeable things in which, one, it is impossible for God to lie. God can do everything. There's nothing impossible for God. That's wrong, brothers and sisters, isn't it? The scripture says that because it is impossible for God to lie. How about that? We, uh, we who have uh, fled uh, to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. And this is, we sung about this, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Why? Yes, because God promised it, but because it's impossible for him to lie. So whatever God says, it's true was true, is true, will always be true. Circle that in your Bible. So Paul was very confident in the message because it came from God. God does not lie. Let me just find my my little part in the Bible here. First Thessalonians, back to here. Okay. And then that little word there where it talks about error. It says in verse three, uh, not, uh, wasn't um, didn't spring from error. The little Greek word there is 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 plain. I'm sure that's not how you say it, but it means a delusion, deceit, or fraud. Now we all know about scamming. Yeah? I told you, I think it was last year or the year before. I got scammed. We all know. We all know about fraud. This is not a message of fraud. Paul was not scamming anyone. He's not trying to trick anybody. He was telling the truth. You and I are taking this same message to the people in Montmorency, people in your uh, social group, your work perhaps, your family members, school, university, wherever it may be. This is the message that you're taking, a message of truth. A message that can change people's lives. It's more than that. There is no mistake in the message. There's no error in the message. It's not wrong. Nothing about it is wrong. It's true. We may not like it, 
We may not like it, but it's true. There's no deceit. Oh, I tell you what, I hate being deceived. I hate being deceived. I'm sure everybody does, but when it actually happens to you, it hurts. Trust is broken. Trust trust takes a long time to build, and it's broken like that. I can't do it with this hand because I've got arthritis in the fingers. In an instant, it's broken. And can you get it back? It takes a lot of work, doesn't it? And there's always that nagging doubt. Is, is it true? Can I trust? The gospel, the good news, you can tell it to your friends, your family members, the people you love, and be sure that it's true. There's nothing false about it. There is no mistake in it. You can trust it. And then Paul says in in that verse as well that there was no impure motive for him coming with this message. That's important. That's important. It really is. What's your motive for sharing the gospel? What is it? Well, Paul says there's nothing selfish, no selfish ambition to preaching the gospel. I didn't want to make a a big name for myself. There was no, there was no rivalry between the groups. You know, the, these other groups that were hassling and hounding Paul, they saw him as a robber. He, he, he's teaching something different. No one will follow us. They'll, we'll lose members. Paul couldn't, couldn't care less about members. His motive wasn't, 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 uh, to cause controversy. He wasn't there just to, you know, oh, another, another, another thought, uh, another idea, another ideology. Nothing like that. He was there because the Lord asked him to share this good news, this message of salvation. You know, in Philippians 1, it tells us that it's possible to preach the right message with the wrong motives. And I've heard this many times, said many times, look, it doesn't matter, the gospel's being preached. Yes, but it does matter as well. It mattered here in First Thessalonians. And yes, the gospel can get out, but it does matter. It, 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 gives, it gives authenticity if you have the right motive. And a really great example, I'm, I'm, I've been reading about this over the last few weeks. I'm, I'm going to use this uh, story uh, at another church in a few weeks. The story of Jonah is a classic example of the message of the gospel, the message of God, God's power and God's salvation working in spite of the messenger's lack of, in, of the right motive. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He didn't like the Ninevans. Ninevans, whoever lives in Nineveh, <laughs> huh? He didn't like them either. And you know what? You know, and this is what I'm going to talk about to this church next in a few weeks. He knew what would happen if he was to tell the message to the people in Nineveh who were rotten. He knew what would happen if they believed. God would forgive them and not punish them. 
His motive was, I want them punished. And that's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to tell them the message because they'd get saved. And they, and they would miss it, the punishment they deserve. Talk about a wrong motive. Anyway, you know the story. God forced him, forced him to tell the message because God wants that message heard. And they got saved. And I, and I just love, I just love the story. You know, I mean, I, I don't get so caught up with the whale. I just love the story of, of, you know, Jonah saying, Oh, I knew they'd get saved. He's, he's really upset about that. Wouldn't it be great, brothers and sisters, if we were to tell people about the gospel and they got saved? We would not be upset, would we? We wouldn't be. That's the message, the same message. Nothing's changed. And then he says, no tricks. Paul says, I didn't try and trick anybody. That word tricks in, in the Greek means means like a baited hook, you know? You know, the fish, all they see is the worm. They don't see the hook. No tricks, no gimmicks, no deals to be followers. Paul wasn't offering a deal. You and I must have pure motives for preaching the gospel. It's not to increase membership here at Monty. Love to see all the seats filled, please don't get me wrong. But that's not the reason we should preach the gospel. It's not, there's no special deals. If you believe in the gospel, it won't make you rich. It might, but it probably won't. God is not a genie. He won't always give you what you ask for, because sometimes we ask for the wrong things. So we must be careful why we preach the gospel, why we share this good news, and how we do it. It's important. Verse 4. Verse 4, it says that um, uh, the accusation of false, on the contrary, we speak as men approved approved of God, by God, approved by God. So not only was the message from God, but the messengers were from God as well. That Paul was God's man, and so was Paul and Silas. You see... Personal testimony adds weight to the message. It doesn't do anything to the message, really. It doesn't make it more powerful. It doesn't change the way you get saved. But it adds weight. It really does. It did here. The flip side is the way we live can also detract Elizabeth, can detract from the message, can't it? Sure, I can tell you about how God saves you, can change you, and you can live a, a righteous life. But they say, "So, Raph, do you believe that?" Oh, absolutely. And they look at my life and they think, yeah, it "Sounds good, but it doesn't look good." And Paul could say that they were approved of God by the way in which they lived. They didn't compromise the message. They endured the hardships, and they were faithful. Tested and approved with the gospel. You know, the gospel, we sang about the gospel being like a, a treasure, a, a treasure, a precious treasure. And, you know, I've come from a very conservative background in the Brethren uh, many years back where 
the idea was yeah, we'd like to preach the gospel, but we're going to keep it in these, in these four walls because we need to keep it safe. We need to protect the gospel. The gospel does not need protection. It needs spreading. That's God's idea, to spread it, to make it known, to proclaim it. Don't dig a hole and bury it like you would with treasure. This is not that sort of treasure. This is a treasure to be enjoyed and shared. Could you turn with me, if you wouldn't mind, to 2 Corinthians? We've looked at this last year. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and there's no water. Okay. Um, I love this passage as well. I love this passage. I hope you get the idea that I love a lot of passages in the scriptures, but I do love this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Do you realise, brothers and sisters, that we have a ministry of reconciliation? That's our ministry. Have a listen to this. And all this from God, who reconciled us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So it's still through Christ. Different terminology to give us an idea of what's happening that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. A very definite, there's no other way, right? Not counting men's sin against them and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, right? That's another role, it's another term for what Paul is doing in Thessalonica. But listen to this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. This is how God wants the people at Monty to know about the gospel, through us. God is not going to reveal himself, you know, at Weir Street. Would have been good a few weeks ago, but you know, if he had it done that, if you know what was happening up there two weeks ago. But anyway, that's beside the point. This is not how God works. God has set a way of making this message known through his people, through you and me. Poor choice, I think, but nevertheless, that's what he wants done. That's how he wants it done. And can you see that? Can you see, can you see how important it is? The message is important, but so are the messengers. How else is the message going to hear? And there's lots of verses that talk about that. You know, the, the gospel having feet and where the feet of the gospel. You know, there's lots of, this is why it's important. In spite of the persecution and opposition and physical hardship, these, these three men, told the truth they pleased God by being obedient and telling the truth and doing what he asked and they spread the gospel, the good news is that true of us is it true of the Montmorency Community Church that we are part of, is it true God cannot bless unfaithful servants he can't. Chapter, verse 5, the first part, he says, we never use flattery. 
Now, I looked it up. I looked up the word flattery. means to try to please by complimentary remarks. Like, that's a really good moustache, Rav. Could be true. But if you don't like moustaches, it's not, is it? Anyway. The second, the second meaning, and the third one is what Paul is referring to here, to praise or compliment insincerely. Oh, that's a really good moustache, right? Yeah, yeah, it can mean two things, can it not? Yeah. And third one, gratifying by falsification. I'd really love to have a moustache like that, Raph. I get a lot of compliments. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me rephrase it. I get a lot of comments about my moustache. All right? That's why I've used the example. But you can see what, what, what it means. And that's what Paul was meaning. We didn't go around tickling people's ears. Another word for flattery, another uh, synonym for flattery when I looked it up is butter up. Yeah, you know what that means. You know, buttering up someone so that what? Yeah, you'll get something from it. You've, you've, you've got a favour to ask. You want something from them. And so you butter them up. That's what it means. Paul said, we didn't do that. There was no, but, no buttering up with Paul. No appealing to e- ego. No manipulation. I hate people that manipulate. No manipulation. They told the truth. It cost them. It cost them. But they told the truth. So, there's an attitude sometimes in, in Christian circles that, that says, that says, uh, look, doesn't matter what, how you do it, so long as, so long as we tell the gospel, so long as we spread the gospel. So when is it, when is it okay to use those sort of tactics? When is it okay to use that sort of tactic? Any, any way that you can get the gospel out? Paul says there, you know we never used flattery. It's never okay to use any tactic to spread the gospel. In verse 5, the second half, verse 5, he says also, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. Do you ever remember Paul asking for money for himself? Never. Now, I'm not going to say too much about that simply because Peter Keep is going to talk about the rest of this chapter next week and he is going to be probably speaking about it a lot more. It's, it's, it's more prominent in what he has to say. But he never asked for money for himself. Paul never sought followers so that he could make a living off them. Now, that happens today. It happened then. There were rabbis that were trying to get a following, you know, so they could, you know, collect money from them. It happens in churches today. Do you know, this is my experience, right? Do you know the biggest stumbling block that, that I... That, that, I find with evangelism, you know what that is? It, is, is it, you think it's personal sin? Do you think that people are thinking, oh, my sin's too big and I, no, I can't do that because, is, is it worldliness? Is it, is it the lure of the world that people, people think, oh, I don't know about going to Monty, you know, because I really love the things that I'm doing, the, you know, the, or, or, or the lustful pleasures? Is it that that's stopping people from, from coming to, to the church to hear the gospel? No. It's tithing. Do you know how many times I've tried to speak to people and we eventually get round to 
tithing. It's a big stumbling block. The church wants my money. Oh, doesn't matter that you can get your sins forgiven. You can repeat. They want my money. That's what they see. And Paul knew that. And so, no, I don't want your money. Oh, you want to give me some? I don't want it. Don't worry about it. I'll make a tent instead. I'm not saying that you shouldn't pay. I mean, I love this building. I sit over there with my wife in the air conditioning when it's hot and when it's cool, that same air conditioning pumps out warm air. I love it. It comes at a price. It has to be paid for. That's okay. We love having Josh as our pastor. Does a great job. I think, I think he's doing a fantastic job. comes at a price. So please don't get me wrong, but I know but I know why Paul wouldn't take any money. Because it's a stumbling block. He didn't want that to happen. And verse six, coming up to the end, verse six, he says, I was not we were not looking for praise from men, not even from you. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? He was not trying to win friends and influence people, brothers and sisters. Because if you spread the gospel, that is not going to happen. More likely they'll, they'll, they'll laugh, they'll ridicule you, they'll shun you, cut you off, block you. <laughs> Paul wasn't interested in that. He wasn't claiming, um, he, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to uh, have a, a special pr- uh, privilege or position as being an apostle or anything like that. That makes me special. No, no, no. He wasn't interested in that. What he was interested in is being a faithful steward. Paul and his friends were focused on the mess, spreading the gospel because they wanted to be faithful to, to the Lord. They were entrusted with the good news. They sought to discharge it with good intentions and they knew that one day they would have to give an account to the master, like all good servants do, all good stewards have to. A faithful steward of the gospel. Could that be said of Montmorency Community Church? Could it be said of us? Are we a faithful steward of the gospel? We've been entrusted, whether we like it or not, We've been entrusted with this good news by the Lord to be shared. We looked at Luke 19 late last year, talking about the uh, the good the good manager, the good steward, and and the the the. Wait a minute, I think that's me. No, it's not me. That's that's okay. Okay. Because I was fiddling with my phone in my pocket, accidentally. No, no, okay. So, so um, in Luke 19, there there, there was a, 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 an owner. Very quickly, an owner was leaving, and he gave he gave his, his steward a, ta- a steward's a task, and he expected when he returned to get a return on the money. Yes. He gave them resources and he says, this is what I need you to do. Here's the resources. I'm going off for a while and when I get back, I'm expecting to see something from the return. And it's a picture of the Lord being away, leaving us with a task and the resources. And so when 
when he comes back, which is going to be soon, he's expecting a return from that. From that, and, that and that's what the seed was all about. It was all about sowing the seed so that it could, could, could get a harvest. And we, we sang about that. And you and me will also have to stand before the Lord, before the Master, and give an account. So, courage with the gospel. We've seen it. We've seen an example of it in in chapter two of First uh, Thessalonians. It's not about Paul, Silas, and Timothy. That's not why it's there. It's there to show us what it looks like for you and me today to be courageous with this wonderful message of salvation, God's message for the world. Thank you.